We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of Final Review. My name is Andrew Claudio. On today's show, if there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Definitely not the New York Knicks. With (laughs) Ghostbusters Afterlife hitting theaters this weekend, it is time once again for us to dive back into the 1980s. And specifically in 1984 for the horror comedy classic directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Weaver, and a plethora of many 80s icons known as Ghostbusters. This movie is a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes on 73 reviews. It has two Academy Award nominations for Best Original Song, the song you heard before my voice kicked in, uh, and Best Visual Effects, in which it lost to Temple of Doom. And at the box office, at the time of release, it made $229 million, which was the highest grossing box office ever for a comedy. Adjusted to today, $626 million. Before we dive into this, you'll hear my voice is not perfect. I'm assuming you can hear my voice is not perfect. It definitely doesn't feel it because last night... Oz and I were at the event for Nick's Film School, the M- KFS at MSG night. And to each and every one of you, just want to get this out of the way first. To all of you that came up to us and told us that, you know, you love the show, made references to the show, you're enjoying the show, and more importantly, you listen to the show. The show takes a lot of work. 
and we enjoy doing it. And it means even more when that joy is reciprocated. So on behalf of Oz and I, I just want to say thank you, Oz. I, I echo all of that. And honestly, it's it's one thing for people to come up and say, oh, yeah, I, I saw you have a movie podcast and you did a, a you know one of those movies I like. It's another thing when people are coming up and are like, oh, the alien episode. I can't believe you. You didn't have you didn't have such and such on Sigourney Weaver's list. Like it, it's really I it, it's it's great. I'm glad people are enjoying the show and responding to it. And I, I can't help but feel a little tug at the old heartstrings. So thank you uh, to all of you wonderful listeners. And hopefully we keep up the good work. Yes, hopefully. And speaking of this movie that we are doing a final review for today, it is one of the greatest comedies of all time. It is a perfect 80s comedy. It perfectly captures why Bill Murray is one of the more important comedic figures in this industry's history. It is a movie about the American dream, specifically during the Reagan era, where you could just have an idea and move to New York City and start a small business and it can become successful. It's a movie about government interference, eventually cracking the very fabric of our universe and why all government interference must be stopped. And most importantly, Oz, and this will probably be the theme for today, even close to 40 years later, about 37 years later, it's one of the funniest movies you will ever watch. Um, I was actually impressed by how consistently I still laugh at the jokes I've heard over and over and over again rewatching the movies this week and... I, I am very excited to see what our tastes are in comedy. It's going to be similar to Halloween where we actually see, you know, in this specific niche genre, what our tastes are. Now, I usually ask you when we introduce a movie, you know, what's your when was the first time you saw it and what do you remember from it? And I think it's a little different here because, you know, we probably grew up with Ghostbusters. So instead, I'll ask, do you remember a time when the Ghostbusters weren't part of your life? Where you, you do you remember a time before Ghostbusters? I know that I, I'm a hair older than you, but there there is um, no time in my life that I don't remember Ghostbusters. Now, some of that is because of the cartoon, which I watched religiously as a little kid. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm deep in my my Slimer lore and all of that. And I had I had all sorts of Ghostbusters toys growing up. But even even the movie, the song, all of it, it's just it's iconography of my youth. That is it, it, entire. I, it's intrinsic to me as a little kid. I cannot I cannot think of a time in my life where Ghostbusters wasn't a thing that I was aware of and a fan of. Well, so the way I'll answer this is by saying the five categories that fell to the editing floor in in this show that we came up with 10 and there are five really strong ones that should that could be considered when evaluating the greatness of this movie there's Harold Ramis the actor we're doing his screenplays instead there's Rick Ram- R- Moranis the actor who steals just about every scene that he's in Sigourney Weaver, which we did alien last week. It wouldn't rank for me, but man, is it an honorable mention now? Um, Elmer Bernstein, the score, if the song wasn't one of the most iconic songs for a movie of all time, we'd probably be doing the score, which is quite pleasant. And then the last thing, which is probably what I associate most with Ghostbusters outside of the comedy, outside of the supernatural, outside of, you know, the 80s part of it, the costume. It's arguably the most popular costume 
that I've ever come across in my life. I've never been a Ghostbuster for Halloween, but I don't remember a Halloween where I didn't see somebody that I know or just somebody coming to my door to get candy dressed as the Ghostbusters. And, you know, here we are in 2021, 37 years after this movie came out. And that's how long of a legacy this has lived. Um, Man, the... The comedy part of it, though, which is where this movie gets classified the most because of, you know, Bill Murray being in the SNL roots that it has. And you and I have never had the comedy conversation. We we are doing a genre film today. And I know some of your sense of humor because we're in a group chat together and I see some of the <laughs> things that you find funny. But I don't think we've ever had the cinematic comedy conversation. So, Oz, what is your taste of humor when it comes to movies? You know, it's interesting because I, I, I'll i say we're, we're going to go through a lot of the, the careers of the folks in in this movie and they really define 80s and early 90s comedy to a huge extent and they're probably the purest offshoot of give or take Will Ferrell of like the SNL impact on film uh, as a whole and the interesting thing that I found is that there are a lot of these movies of this era and of this ilk that I think are bad like I really don't think are are well made or well constructed or well crafted, but I love them anyway. And I just don't care that my like lizard film nerd brain thinks that, you know, wow, that shot is incompetently staged or what the fuck is the editing here? Because the the actors are so funny and they're just given so much leeway to do whatever they want. Not everything is scripted to death. Not everything is worrying about a an eventual cinematic universe or whatever other bullshit. You just get a bunch of funny people, give them a concept and let them riff and see what happens. And you get some very, very bad movies that way, but you get some really, really, really funny moments. I don't know exactly what the breakdown is in what of Ghostbusters is scripted or improv, but it's clear that an enormous amount of this is improv. And considering the two writers of the movie are two of the stars, that means that they can just fucking rewrite it on the fly on the set. And this is one of the ones where the magic all comes together. Everyone gets on the right page and, and it's just, it's so, so funny. And without this era of comedy, we don't get the sort of modern anchorman Apatow school of comedy. Uh, It's just, it's so, it's so important and influential. And because I grew up on it, it's something that I, I, I love in a way that I, I can't, I, it, it cannot overwhelm the, the, uh, you know, criterion collection brain here. I I just love this stuff too much. Well, to your lizard brain's credit, there are a lot of very glaring special effects that are unfinished when you watch this movie and you read about the history of this movie and how it was made. Um, Dan Aykroyd writes a script, Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman rewrite it with him to make it funnier. It's greenlit by Columbia as long as it's available for June 1984. So they had about 13 months to make this movie with so many special effects that like today you go to a company, you sit at a computer, as somebody that edits video for a living, I would probably need about like a year to do all these things. And these guys are back before we had Adobe or Final Cut or Pro Tools. And they're putting this type of movie together. And you get like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man effect, which is it's good. Great. But then you also get in that same scene, one of the buildings is literally moving in the <laughs> shot because it's unfinished. And I think... 
that hits on, like you mentioned how some of these movies are bad or a lot of these movies are bad. And I think with comedy, at least this is how I feel, as long as I'm laughing, the plot doesn't have to make that much sense. I will ignore and forgive so many of those unfinished filmmaking details for comedy because I'm going in trying to laugh. And if you do that successfully, I will be so much less of a critic and much more of an, of an audience member and able to enjoy the comedy that's in the film. Is that fair? It's totally fair. And it's also, it's important to remember that home video didn't really exist. This movie came out right as the VHS tape is starting to pick up steam. I mean, there are VHS tapes before this, but this is when it's really starting to, to pick up and be a way that people consume movies. So most movies are, are, one and done. Occasionally they'll come back to town a couple of years later, or they'll end up on, you know, Saturday morning and Sunday morning network chopped up rebroadcasts. This is when cable is just starting to grow. HBO, I, I don't remember exactly what year HBO started, but it's certainly not ubiquitous in the way it would be in the 90s. Nobody cares about like, you know, plot holes and, and things like that because you you tend not to care. If you're laughing and having a good time in the theater, it doesn't really matter because there's no cinema sin style scrutiny of this stuff and a lot of it is is made kind of purposefully for a, you know a one-time enjoyment and then a, a sort of recognition that it, it's not a movie that people are are necessarily going to come back to well do you know what the original name of ghostbusters was supposed to be i don't i think i should because there was a, a really excellent documentary last year about belushi and mm. right before he died, Aykroyd pitched him to do this movie. And they they all, the, that whole crew of friends from SNL kind of thought that this was going to be the movie that would help get Belushi back on track and, you know, help him get his life together. And obviously that didn't, it didn't happen. And they rewrote that character to be, be to be the Bill Murray part instead. Uh, so I should know that, but, um, yeah, I just want to share my own fun Ghostbusters history too, the Belushi thing, because I cannot even imagine how different this movie would be. But what what is it? Well, so the original title that they had was Ghostbusters, but there was a kids show on CBS that was owned by Universal at the time called The Ghostbusters that they were not willing to part ways with as far as the title is concerned. But Reitman and the head of uh, Columbia at the time were convinced we will figure it out, go along by shooting the movie as if it's Ghostbusters, but do multiple takes with a backup name known as Ghost Breakers. So there are at least 10% of the movie, 10% of shots in the movie are with them having like Ghost Breakers on the car, Ghost breakers on the banner and it's when they were shooting the scene of the crowd chanting ghostbusters that reitman then called up the head of columbia when he heard how excited all the extras were at chanting ghostbusters and said like we're not shooting two movies at once going forward we're already on a tough tight schedule that i'm not like i'm not doing this anymore we're just gonna go ahead as ghostbusters get it done head of columbia said okay like i don't know how we're gonna do this but we'll figure it out and what ended up happening is and i'm i'm muddying up i'm yada yada yadding the details but the coke buys columbia coca-cola buys columbia the head of columbia that Ivan Reitman called uh, leaves 
the, the, the studio to become the head of Universal and knowing this name dispute, immediately one of his first moves was to sell the title back to Columbia in order for them to go ahead with the movie. I think he got 1% of the movie's profits as, as formal payment. And lo and behold, they just kind of figured it out as they went along, which is a very eighties thing to do. So that's the story. That's, that's fascinating. I didn't know that that's fascinating to me. And it, it's interesting because other people, these later comedy folks take a cue from that. So like Judd Apatow, I don't, I don't know if he still does it, but at least when he was coming up, he would shoot his movies with an R rated version and immediately after they finished a take, before they'd even reset the cameras, they'd redo it, just replacing the fucks with fricks or or the shits with shoots or whatever it may be, or just improving other sort of analogous PG-13 level terminology. It, 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 that's interesting. I, I, I didn't realize the through line of of this you know comedy stuff and i have to imagine that that's where the the inspiration comes from for apato well that's here too there's there's this documentary on netflix uh in this the series called the movies that made us on ghostbusters and bill murray was literally given the line from the script and then given the opportunity to do multiple takes and a lot of what he came up with made it into the movie he we came we saw we kicked its ass is a murray ad-lib this man has no dick probably the best line of the entire movie oh it's like, so good. that is a bill murray ad-lib which look i'm not gonna ever pretend i know how to create a comedy but like in evaluating this movie and thinking about like who's most responsible for its brilliance like we're gonna discuss harold ramis and his screenplay here and his contributions to the screenplay here and I, I wonder if the most ad-libbed parts of this movie, and in most comedies, are the things we enjoy the most, which is which is fascinating. Just a couple of wavy lines. Sorry, this isn't your lucky day. <laughs> no. Uh, um. Get a little tired of this. You volunteered, didn't you? We're paying you, aren't we? Yeah, but I didn't know you were going to be giving me electric shocks. What are you trying to prove here anyway? I'm studying the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. The effect? I'll tell you what the effect is. It's pissing me off. Well, then maybe my theory is correct. You can keep the five bucks I've had. I will, mister. Oz, are you ready to do a final review of Ghostbusters? Let's do it. The 10 categories for today are... Ivan Reitman directed films, Bill Murray performances, buckle up, Dan Aykroyd performances, Harold Ramis screenplays, original songs, we're doing a repeat category, SNL alumni films, 1984, the 1980s, 80s comedies, and horror comedies. We got two categories dedicated to the genre of comedy, but we start, as always, with our director. Is Ghostbusters a top five Ivan Reitman directed film? Now, this is going to sound like a diss, or, or specifically it's disrespectful, but I think if you took the 10 directors that we've done so far, he's easily number 10, and I don't like care. I, I think he's really good at what he's really good at. And in this movie that showcases that. Is that is that a fair way or is that an unfair way to, to talk about Ivan Reitman? Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to kill Ivan Reitman as a director because yeah, I, I mean clearly of the of all the movies we've done on the show, he Ivan Reitman is not Ridley Scott or Martin Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino. And I think I think I, I think he'd agree with that as well. I don't think he would he has any artifice about it, but he does have a skill. 
and he has a skill that he does at at the highest level possible. And maybe that makes him, uh, you know, an Eddie Brock style player. And he's, you know, going to hit 350 every year, even if he doesn't hit any home runs or any extra base hits or play any good defense. He does one thing really well, and that is manage his actors to do comedy. Give them the lane and the space that they need to do funny shit. And that is a, that is a unique, rare skill that lots of people botch. I mean, we both like the Eternals, but Chloe Zhao is not, uh, is not someone who's gifted at getting comedic performances from her actors and giving the performers space to breathe in the roles. And you, you have Reitman, who, who's just utterly masterful at that. He's a really interesting personal history too. His, I think his mother survived Auschwitz. His his father was part of the Jewish underground resistance in Eastern Europe during World War II before they before they all escaped in the immediate in the late war period. Uh, so he came from a, a, a lot of tragedy, and it's surprisingly common that you get great comedic voices that come from difficult, tragic backgrounds. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's a. I I don't think he's a great director, but I think he's very good at this sort of thing. Um, and shout out my wife who went to theater school with, uh, Ivan Reitman's daughter, who is current, who's currently the lead of, I think it's called working moms on Netflix. So, Oh, shoot. Wow. Lily, we should mm-hmm. add her on for this pod. Jeez. So she's like, is she like a big Ghostbusters fan as a result of it being low key in the family? Not, not as a result, uh, but she's actually a big, a big Ghostbusters fan anyway. And is very excited for the new one. Though that may be because she would like to leave me for Paul Rudd, like most women. Listen, I was actually kind of stunned at that sexiest man alive thing that you talk to a woman and then they're like, oh, okay, that is why. Um, are you guys dressing up as Ghostbusters this weekend? No, 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 no. We're not. Oh, we're not I, I would actually expect that from the Ozrowskis. Damn it. <laughs> um, I was amazed. I, you said Eddie Brock. I think you meant Lou Brock when you were talking about baseball players. Right? Okay, I said Eddie That's Brock. That's why oh, I was like, Christ. wow. It's the, mov- the movie podcast Listen, is corrupted by brain. Lou Brock, I'm sorry. I should have I should have corrected you. Um, no, leave, leave this in. This is good. Leave this all in? Okay. This, this shows how broken my brain is. The multiverse is coming together in my I, brain. Don't apologize. As someone else that loves Venom, let there be carnage. I'm perfectly fine with you confusing uh, Eddie Brock, the symbiote, with Lou Brock, 1960s Cardinals (laughs) baseball legend. Uh, It's funny that you mention a baseball reference, though, because I was leaning more toward football with this and how... You know, you have the different rooms on a football team. It's not like basketball where you have a star and he can affect every person on the court. But you have your wide receiver room. You have your your quarterback room, your running back room, your lineman, your kicking room. And there's a coach that's in charge of all of them. And they're there because they're good at that one thing. They can't go coach the quarterbacks. They can't go coach the linemen. But they can really do well in the wide receiver room. And I feel like directors, some directors that can't do all of it, they can't be your head coach. That's that's perfectly fine. Like if I'm in the mood to watch a wide receiver or for a need to see what a good wide receiver is, I go to the wide receivers coach. And if I'm in need of a good documentarian, I go to where I'd find a good documentarian. And as a result, if I need a good comedy director, then I just want the movie to be funny. I go call Ivan Reitman. That's not to say like he's worse than the other nine directors we've done. It's just knowing your niche and what you're good at. And look, 
this is the only Ivan Reitman film I'm pretty sure we're ever going to do, which is why it's fascinating to do a, a pantheon for him and do a top five. My list ended up being a little easier than I thought, but I mean, I also have some thoughts about one specific actor. We start with you, though. Eyes, your top five Ivan Reitman films. I, I don't think anyone should be shocked to hear that my number one Ivan Reitman movie is Ghostbusters. I, I adore Ghostbusters for reasons that we will spend the next hour or so discussing. Uh, Ghostbusters is great. My number two is Stripes, which is the Bill Murray. It's another extraordinarily 80s movie about Bill Murray. Uh joining up with the military and sort of pushing back against it. It's very funny. It's really Murray at, at sort of his most unrestrained doing whatever the fuck he wants in his most charming prick Bill Murray way. Uh, Stripes is good. My number three is where I'm just going off the grid here. I, I understand that objectively, this is a very bad movie. I get that. I understand that uh, you may throw up in your mouth when I, I say this movie, because I think most people hated it. Uh, it is Basically, Ivan Reitman's, Ivan Reitman's remake of Ghostbusters, and that's a movie called Evolution. Oh, <laughs> which starred David Duchovny. Which starred David Duchovny and Sean William Scott and Julianne Moore. Uh, it's about an alien invasion, uh, which is not dissimilar from the ghosts in in New York and Ghostbusters. Is it a great movie? No, it's it's one that you know it it really. Scratched an itch for me as someone who who grew up loving Ghostbusters and essentially getting to see the same guy go back and play in an identical sandbox really worked for me. So I think Evolution is funny, even if I don't necessarily think it's good. Uh, four for me is going to be Dave. Dave uh, is... I. Did this come up on our? This came up on our Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver, Weaver yes. Yeah, I'm coming up pretty soon again too. So don't worry. The, then I, I will sit back and and let you do ISO Dave because I think, oh, no, I think you're I'd, a rather, very big... I'd rather hear your thoughts. I gave all my thoughts with when Sigourney came up. It's on my list. Don't, don't worry. But what are your thoughts on Dave? I think Dave is. I think Dave is good. I think Dave is funny. I think it's it's him working with a, a little bit more restrained concept and doing something that's more of a less of an improv movie and more of a, a structured film and i think it i think it works well it, it's helpful to have you know a very very good kevin klein i think frank langella is great in that movie and obviously we talked about sigourney weaver a week ago uh who's also quite good in that movie it was also like three weeks ago we talked about it but uh I, a lot of conversations <laughs> about sigourney weaver lately <laughs> uh but dave is good and my fifth is again a bad movie but i like it and i don't care if you do not not. It is Kindergarten Cop. Uh, that movie is hilarious. I think that much of the badness of that movie is purposeful. Uh, I I like it. I saw it when I was like seven, and it has stuck with me since then. And uh, yeah, that movie is that movie is funny. So <laughs> your list has now given me the confidence to give me mine. I was a little afraid I was going to get judged by by the Criterion brain across from me, and Dude, now I know this week I, is. Full of movies that I think are bad, but I like. This is the week I'm picking most with my most with my heart and least with my head. Probably because if I I would just not pick movies for some of these categories. Yeah, I wonder, I it's because you did an '80s movie and Oz to turn his brain off. Unfortunately, um, all this to say, uh, Ivan Reitman, of course, my number one is Ghostbusters. It's the best thing he's been a part of. When you find out more of the making of this movie and how integral he was in rewriting the script with Aykroyd and Ramis, really. Uh, time managing 
everything to get the effects done and the shooting done and every single thing done on such a tight deadline so that way the studio could release it for the summer. It's clearly the best thing as well as the greatest thing he's done. And it's what the thing he's going to be remembered for when... You know, the, the in memoriam argument, you know, uh, my number two is Dave, the movie that Oz just mentioned and that I've mentioned a couple times on this show. I think Kevin Klein might be my favorite version of the president in a movie and uh, the relationship with Sigourney Weaver and the the incre- impeccable timing of releasing that during the Clinton era is just you know, fascinating. Uh, my number three is Stripes, which I think he had already done a movie. I think he did Meatballs with murray before but it plants the seeds that then led into um led into what happens with with ghostbusters and eventually him working together there uh my number four is uh his collaboration with uh billy crystal and robert robin williams uh it's a 1997 movie called father's day in which the two of them are told by a woman that they each used to date separately and they didn't know each other. They're each told that they have a son, a son named Scott, and that he ran away and they're both sent to go find him separately. And they meet up and they're on this this wild goose chase to find their son. And they think they're helping each other find like the opposite's son until they find out it's the same kid. And then the woman says, you know, I, I still don't know where he is. Please find him. And it's... I'm not getting myself canceled on this show. I'm just saying women be shopping. And this is a perfect movie that is an example of that. Uh, And then my number five is the movie that probably should get me canceled because of who I'm discussing this uh, this these movies with but you put evolution on which gave me so much more confidence to put draft day on my top five in my pantheon listen oh boy I, I, lo- no 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 don't you oh boy me sir Vontae oh. mac no matter what when he negotiates the trade for the three second round picks for number six with the jaguars gm then calls back up seattle and negotiates to get all of his first round picks back and david putney because he feels like it it's one of the most ridiculous, but one of my favorite sports scenes. It's up there with the natural home run for impactful sports scenes. It makes when you turn off the trade things in NBA 2K so that you can do whatever you want, it makes those trades seem like well-reasoned compared to what happens there. I cannot believe you took a non-comedy Reitman movie. Because it's that that good. That's how good it is. Okay? You Listen... What is that? The, the whole thing with with the Jennifer Gardner romance doesn't like I, I pretend that doesn't exist. The whole thing with his son dies or his dad dies and was the coach like a week ago and then he dies. It's like whatever. It's like a part of the plot. But the actual executive part where he makes the trade for number one and trades three years of number one. Like that's the best part is the Dennis Leary character, the coach of the Cowboys. That's the best. That's the most fictional part of the movie. As the Cowboys won the Super Bowl recently. So that's the most. <laughs> Most actual thing that we look at and say, wow, this is not rooted in reality. Um, he's right where he's like, listen, I need a running back. That's the other part. He wants to take a running back in the first round, which we don't do in 2021. Maybe it's going exactly. great. Let's see. Gettleman watched draft day and then took Saquon and said, yeah, I need yes, to take a that's running the problem. back. Um, no, that movie is so fun in its ridiculousness and 
I mean, kind of predicted the resurgence that the Browns would one day be playoff contenders. You know, that Gettleman joke, I I didn't go, but a friend invited me. There was a Giants season ticket holder uh, premiere screening of draft day. They played it for like Giants season ticket holders like, oh, no, like three months before it came out. Uh, So, yeah, maybe that actually is where Gettleman got his schemes for how to run a football team. And who's the quarterback that was recovered? There's Bo Callahan, the kid from Wisconsin that goes was supposed to go number one that he traded the three first round picks for. Then there's the other quarterback that they already have. Do you think that I remember this movie with this level of credit? You should. It's a modern day classic. It's a I top know, five I, sports I, movie. Oz. Chadwick is the running back, right? Yes, is Chadwick's that- the running back that he sacks Bo Callahan. And it turns out that when they were watching film, they were like, yeah, Bo ended up winning that game because Vontae Mack got ejected from the game for giving the ball to a fan in the stands, which the refs decided to throw him out for. Sacked Bo Callahan three times. <laughs> oh That's right. Oh, uh Tom Welling is the Browns' starting quarterback from the and he previous year. And he su- plays who? Brian Drew. Brian Drew, that's right. They get to keep Brian Drew. Wow. So when the Jets had the number two pick, they should have kept San Darnold and traded number two so they can get a multitude of picks. So they get Maybe the, a running back in the top seven. They get seven. to keep the, I guess, second worst Superman ever. So good job. Good Listen, job, GM. there is a world where that they're literally chanting Super Bowl in that postgame party where Frank Langella looks at everybody and goes, we had a great day. <laughs> How many <laughs> times have so you much- seen this fucking movie? That this is told crazy. You, when it comes to Ivan, when it comes to Ivan Reitman, I, I'd argue this is my number two as far as movies I've seen because uh, I've seen wow. Ghostbusters more than anything else. Draft Day had a cable run a couple of years ago and I just kept watching it. It's my here. here Here's, here's the actual case for draft day. On it, on 4th of July, you watch Jaws or Independence Day. On sure. Christmas, you watch Die Hard. You watch your favorite Christmas movie. Um, there are special holidays where you watch certain movies. You know what I watch every year on the first day of the NFL draft? The Yankees? I watch, the no, I, I watch... <laughs> that's funny. I watch draft day to get me ready for all of the war room negotiations that are going on. And I stand by it, baby. Uh, any honorable mentions for Ivan Reitman? <laughs> I got nothing. I'm, nothing, I'm, me neither. I'm, I'm spent at, at those five. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Come in, Ray. Pittman! I saw it! I saw it! I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move! 
it won't hurt you. Next up is Ghostbusters, a top five Bill Murray performance. Now, the reality is that tragedy is how he even got attached to this movie. As Oz mentioned, John Belushi was originally supposed to be one of the Ghostbusters. When Aykroyd originally was writing the script, it was with John Belushi and Eddie Murphy with him as the three main Ghostbusters. It was going to be like his SNL roots and he was going to do it that way. And then he was literally writing a line for Belushi when he got the news that he passed away. And then he said, well, unfortunately with John Gunn, I do think we can get Bill to do this. Now, the cool story or the interesting story about Bill's eventually showing up for this is that they got a verbal agreement that Bill Murray would do the part and never got him to sign a contract, never like got him to meet the director or the studio heads. They were just told, yeah, Bill will be there first day of shooting. And up until the night before first day, they had no idea if Bill Murray was a green light to, to was actually going to show up to, for for work. Lo and behold, next day, seven a.m. call time. Bill Murray in his acting chair, re- ready to go on set like a professional actor. Uh, the enigma known as Bill Murray, one of if not the greatest comedic actor of all time. Us, I adore Bill Murray. I think he is fucking great. There, there's nothing that gives me joy of any comedic actor in the history of film like when Bill Murray is playing a lovable prick. There's nobody who's ever played a lovable prick better. He is perfect at it. He's just so perfectly cutting. He's got that little smirk. I, I adore Bill Murray. I even, I, I, I even like the cult of stuff around Bill Murray being a fucking weirdo. Like I, there's a documentary I watched a couple of years ago that has a picture of like the cover of the, like the poster of it is Bill Murray as Bigfoot because it's basically a, a like a, a documentary tracking down people who have weird Bill Murray stories. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's great that the guy goes and like randomly decides to play kickball with people in Central Park. I think it's great that he like photo bombs wedding pictures and he just so happens to be a fantastic actor. You just have to like recruit him by sending him like handwritten letters like every week for six straight months to get him to show up for your movie unless you're Wes Anderson and he shows up every single time. Yeah, it's funny. I thought a lot about our conversation about Jamie Lee Curtis when we discussed Final Girls and the horror genre and how she's one of the goats in her genre. And like Bill Murray's listed with with Eddie and with Robin Williams and with uh, like Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell and like all of the Apatow boys, the the James Franco, um, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen crew, like they're going to be uh, all mentioned in, as candidates for the Mount Rushmore of comedy. And I think what stands out for Bill Murray is like I I think of his characters, but I, I more specifically think of him. Like I think of Will Ferrell and his characters like 
Ron Burgundy is the lovable prick that I associate with Will Ferrell. But as much as Peter Venkman is the character, Bill Murray is the lovable prick. And I think his own personality transcends the character that he's created for each movie. And it, it's why like, there's a lot of sameness to his movies, but there's also a lot of... Uh, charisma to when he plays the the chaotic comedic character across from these straight faced opposites in all these films. Um, when I originally wrote my list, I wanted to figure out a way to put Space Jam on because that's the first time I saw Bill Murray in a movie helping Michael Jordan free the cartoons from slavery. And I then went into my list and I realized there's just no way you could possibly bump anything else that far above, far down. So Space Jam fits on same principle for Zombieland. He's hilarious in his like 10 minutes in that movie. But I, I couldn't like realistically credibly put it on there. Did I just spoil your list, by the way, Oz? No, 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 no. Of course not. I, sure. I, I, but I, I love I love but I, all these small Bill Murray roles are fucking great. Yes. Um, and then, and we didn't discuss the French Dispatch, but I don't have the same appreciation for Wes Anderson that a lot of people do. So I also omitted all Wes Anderson movies just because it's not my cup of tea. I imagine my co-host might come in strong in just a minute, um, which is why what I ended up doing was landing on six very solid Bill Murray performances. And my top five are... My number one being, for me, the very best thing I think he's ever done, and it's called Lost in Translation. It's He was nominated for an Oscar. Someone would argue he should have won the Oscar. If you watch the uh, Oscars category from that year, there's a infamous shot of his reaction to the winner of that award. I think that's the Sean Penn in Mystic River I was going to say, Oscar, if, you, if you watched the movies that year, you would also come down on the side of Bill Murray winning winning the Oscar. Uh, your friend Jonathan Macri ended the last Nick's Film School podcast agreeing with you, and I pushed back because I like Sean Penn in Mystic River, but we've been over this. People that are loud and chew scenery are not going to be in the Nick's Law School cup of tea. Um, I quite enjoy him in Mystic River, but I will agree with you guys that I think Lost in Translation is a better performance than anything in Mystic River, to be honest. That's a good year. It's Myst- it's Myst- it's Penn for Mystic River. Uh, Jack, ben- right? It's Jack Sparrow. Yep, exactly. Johnny Depp yeah. for Pirates, uh, Ben Kingsley for House of Sand and Fog, and Jude Law for the utterly underrated and totally lost Cold Mountain. That's a that's a pretty strong set of performances. Yeah, not for nothing. Personally, Jack Sparrow takes home the trophy if I have a vote. But look, what Murray has to do in Lost in Translation, I don't think any of us had ever seen him try to do before and the very serious themes and performance that he has to give opposite scar joe and you know a lot of people looked at that film as potentially autobiographical in a, an actor whose star is fading struggling with that fact and the things going on in his marriage and you know what he has to do in that movie it, it is something I didn't know Bill Murray could do. And it's so polar opposite from every other single thing that he does. And I think that's, that's why it's for me, the thing that stands out above the rest from two through six. I, I have a toss up here. Cause I think he's really good in all of his comedies. And so the order I will go with is groundhog day two. What about Bob? Number three. Ghostbusters number four, 
And at the moment, I'll put Stripes at number five with Caddyshack six, but tomorrow, Caddyshack could be five, Stripes could be six. I think Groundhog Day, I'll keep it two, because that, I think, what he has to do repeating the day and being funny while also living out something pretty traumatic is difficult to do. So I'll leave that there. And look what, what he does to Richard Dreyfus and what about Bob? You're supposed to hate him yet. You want him on screen every single second. And while like Dreyfus is right in hating every single thing that Bob does to his family, you still end up on Bob's side, which is the greatest part of, of that movie. Um, okay. Those are my top five. I'm, I'm, Sticking to it. It's in the record. Oz, your top five Bill Murray performances before I change my mind. All right. So my list may surprise you a little bit. My number my number one is I love Lost in Translation. I think it's wonderful. It's not my number one. My number one is Groundhog Day, which I think is the the perfect encapsulation of all of Bill Murray's best skills as an actor. And the thing that I, I didn't realize as a kid, but I've come to appreciate uh, as a relatively old person, is how fucking dark that movie is. Like the suicide montage is so weird and dark, and and Bill Murray's just so perfect at playing the the emotional toll and torture of you know this circumstance, and it, it's really a remarkable and strong performance that you could see actually a lot of where the torturedness of of lost in translation coppola will will later tap into uh yeah groundhog day is my number one lost in translation for all the reasons you said is my number two it's a remarkably strong performance it's quite moving uh it's very good and it's very textured and layered and never sort of goes over the creepy line which it could uh it's it's just it's very good uh i ghostbusters is it means too much to me that's going to be my number three uh my number four we're we're going to go in a very different direction i i know everyone thinks about the the wes anderson collaborations i like my sofia coppola collaborations with bill murray and i think Okay. It's not my all-time favorite movie, but it is an incredibly good Bill Murray performance, and that's On the Rocks. Yeah, last year. Yeah. It's a movie that came out last year. Uh, it's with Rashida Jones. It's He plays her dad, and in effect, they just drive around New York City and shoot the shit as she's grappling with the fact that her husband may or may not be having an affair, and she has this sort of you know, legendary cad of a father who, uh, you know, is that guy. He's the guy who fucked up his marriage. He's the guy who's a drunk. He's the guy who's driving his like his douchebag sports car around, you know, deep into his seventies. It's an incredibly good performance. And it's the first time in a very long time that it felt like the, the old Murray was back and the awards bait Murray was was taking a, a nap for a little while because, <laughs> you know, n- neither of us are putting Hyde Park on Hudson or Broken Flowers on our Bill Murray list today. Uh, it's really good. It's definitely worth tracking down. It's also it's pretty it's pretty short. It's a good watch. It's it's solid movie and an excellent performance. My number five, I will do a Wes Anderson movie, though. I I know it, I, uh, for a Criterion Collection guy, I'm not a huge Wes Anderson fan. I'm going to go with Rushmore. Rushmore is my favorite of the uh, Bill Murray roles in Wes Anderson movies. Uh, it's he plays a father of a student at a school who befriends or sort of befriends uh, a student played by Jason Schwartzman. They're both in love with a teacher played by Olivia Williams. It's uh, it's a 
very much a Wes Anderson movie, but it's very good. It's very smart. It's a little more human scale than some of his, you know, you know, human dollhouse constructions that he hews into making later in his career. Uh, Rushmore, good stuff. When he talks his way out of the speeding ticket in on the rocks it's amazing bill murray's back that was, that was literally what i was saying as i'm watching that it's like okay bill murray bill murray's back this is the this is the bill murray that i like you know and on the rocks is on apple tv plus yeah for it's anyone the, interested. It's the, yeah it's the first movie from the a24 apple tv plus collaboration yes very very good so, decent marlon wayne's performance yeah. is as well please the husband that is suspected of being cheated on uh, that ever- was suspected of cheating on Rashida Jones. We ever do a, a Marlon Wayans? That that'll be my top Marlon Wayans spoiler. Good lord, I can't. It's it's gonna be like episode seven hundred before I'm we to get think to of the movie. We'd have to do the, it. Would, mm. It would have to be on the rocks. I think probably. Although not. There's what's the nomination? Oh yeah, that's the thing. It's not eligible. We have to come up with streaming rules someday for movies yeah. that didn't open at the box office. But then you get we into got, we got to do red, red notice. Red someday. notice. <laughs> wait! 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 always wanted to do this. And the flowers are still standing. Okay, on my go, single. Spangler, I want a confinement stream from you, okay? Go! Okay, hold him up there. He's gonna move. Hold him up. Go! Working, Ray. Start bringing him down. Start bringing him down. You got him. Don't cross the stream. Right. Maybe now you'll never slime a guy with a positron glider, huh? Next up is Ghostbusters a top five Dan Aykroyd performance. Yes, first of all, <laughs> um, Scotty Pippen, warts and all because of what's happening in the news right now, isn't even the right comparison for Dan Aykroyd. That he's perfectly fine as a Robin, but never a Batman. Uh, maybe Batman and Robin is actually the good cop. Um, I was thinking more of... A, a solid wide receiver with a better quarterback type of relationship that he's good based off of how good the person that is there for the comedic relief is, whether it be opposite Eddie Murphy or John Belushi or Bill Murray. In this case, he's as good as the person he's playing off of. He's solid in, in, just about everything that he's in as far as what we're going to consider for today. But I didn't come away looking at his filmography with like, oh, there's the movie starring Dan Aykroyd that I'm considering for this list. Your thoughts on Dan Aykroyd, though? I agree with that. I I think he's found a nice little lane in recent years as like a small part character actor who shows up for for one or two scenes and, and kills it, even in like... He, he's in one scene in Pearl Harbor where he's good. Uh, he's in, oh God, what the hell was the name of that movie? Uh, oh, he's in Get On Up. He's got like two scenes in Get On Up where he's good. Uh, he's just, he, he's found this kind of niche as a, as like a bit player, which I think works for him. And I, I, not, not the greatest actor we've discussed on, on this podcast, but he is funny and he is a very smart comedic figure uh who i i do quite like even if i don't think you uh, another one of these i quite like him even if i'm not sure he's very good as i mentioned at the top we owe him for ghostbusters like this was his idea that that he then you know had two much funnier people take and turn it into what we have now as ghostbusters um 
the other small part that's not on my list, and I, I highly doubt it's on yours, but the auto repa- auto parts salesman in Tommy Boy, like it's oh, yeah, a very yeah. small mm-hmm. role, but like he nails it. Um, okay, your top five Dan Aykroyd performances. So uh, it's rare that he is the lead, but sometimes he's good as the lead or the co-lead. And I I will say that I I love Ghostbusters. I love him in it, but it's not it's not going to be my top dog. My my top is Blues Brothers. I actually think he's the funnier of the two in Blues Brothers. I I I know this this is probably a new I you'll be shocked to learn I'm not a huge Belushi fan. Okay. Uh, I like his I I like his SNL stuff more than I like his movie work cuz it's just it's it's very broad for me. Uh but I I think Aykroyd's the stronger of the two in that movie. I the deadpan is always very very good. So Blues Brothers will be my top dog. My number 2 is Trading Places. The uh, Eddie Murphy starring Dan Aykroyd, co-starring uh, Trading Places movie where the rich guy and poor guy swap lives. Uh, it's funny stuff. He plays, again, the good straight man to Eddie's bigger performance. Uh, this is a good one of the 80s comedies. Three is Ghostbusters. Four is his lone Academy Award nomination for a movie that is very embarrassing in 2021. Uh, driving Miss Daisy, he he plays Miss Miss Daisy's son who hires uh, who hires the titular driver to drive Miss Daisy. Uh, I, this movie, I it's well acted, but it's very embarrassing. It's I probably best thought of as down market green book at this point, and uh, he's at least very good in one of his rare serious roles. And my fifth is. A little movie called My Fellow Americans, which is an odd duck of a movie. The plot is basically if if Obama and Trump teamed up to take down Biden because Biden was corrupt. I don't want to make this political. I shouldn't use real. I legit have no idea what movie you're talking about. I've never heard of this movie. My really? Fellow Americans? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. This this is a real this is a real movie that exists. Uh, uh okay. It's like it's it's actually kind of in the late nineties. It's like ninety seven or ninety eight. Jack Lemon is in it. Um, I think James Garner is the other elderly president. But the two prior presidents team uh, up to okay. expose the corruption uh, of okay. Ackroyd as the as the current sitting president. Um, perhaps this analogy would work better if if W and Obama team up to take down Trump. That's what, probably yeah, the way we yeah. should be the way we should be thinking of this. Um. But yeah, it's it's not a great movie like all of these we're talking about, but it's a good, funny performance. He he's pretty good as the heel in the movie. Uh yeah, not 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 my favorite actor, but uh yep. That's my Dan Aykroyd. Peter Siegel did uh, My Fellow Americans. He directed My Fellow Americans, I should say, uh, who also did Anger Management, 51st Dates, Tommy Boy, uh, Grudge Match, Stallone versus De Niro. Uh, and then one of my personal faves, The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler version, a movie I will defend if and whenever. I have no idea what Adam Sandler movie would ever be eligible for this podcast. But as far as... 
the longest year I actually would argue, I, I don't even know of an actor in this movie that would end up in one of our, our lists. What? What's up? Punch, punch Drunk Love? Yeah, uncut but Gems? Like, are, are we going to pick Uncut? Uncut Gems, is it nominated, didn't make enough money? And then... It, 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 it was nominated for an Academy Award, wasn't it? Did what it was, I thought that was one of the legendary fuck, things about Uncut zero? Gems. at Zero. Is that Sandler actually went on the Oscar campaign and did nothing. Anyway, look, Adam Sandler has a lane in trashy comedies and fortunately as a result he won't show up on final review um but yeah okay i i now see what movie you're talking about and once again we do not talk about our list ahead of time and it's why i had no idea that ghostbusters is also not my number one and i have trading places and blues brothers ahead of it now in a different order i have trading places one totally and then blues, blues brothers two trading places will come up again in this show in fact look here's we probably should have said it at the top. There's like eight movies that are going to yeah. get discussed a lot it's today crazy. because we're doing 80s, because we're doing 80s comedy, and because we're doing Reitman, Aykroyd, and Murray, and Ramis. There's really a theme here. So obviously, like Ghostbusters, and then a lot of Bill Murray's are going to come up. And then when you get to the 80s, a lot of the same people were important when it came to comedy. And then my four and five, I'll go Spies Like Us at number four, uh, the 1985 comedy where he teams up with Chevy Chase and they play secret agents in the Soviet Union um, or American secret agents in the Soviet Union. A very uh, Cold War era comedy. Uh, 1985. A lot of a lot of interesting thoughts about that year, specifically to the time that a lot of these movies are taking place. And then number five, uh, I'll go gross point blank. This is a movie where John Cusack is an assassin who returns to his home, gross point, uh, his hometown of gross point to go to his high school reunion. And Aykroyd is a rival assassin that get, tries to get him to team up with him and then starts hunting him when things go wrong throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions Oz? You, you said it already. Spies like us was my, was my next up. It's in there. Hey. Well, that wasn't such a chore now, was it? Mr. Smith, quickly, I want that door open now. Don't stand over there. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Next up is Ghostbusters a top five Harold Ramis screenplay. Now, when we originally planned out the the list, the categories, you're the one that suggested the change of doing Harold Ramis, the performer, to Harold Ramis, the screenwriter. And then I went in, into my research, and I agreed with you, looking at the two lists, that the wider variety would be Harold Ramis, his screenplays. So I'll ask you to start what do you like about Harold Ramis, the screenwriter, or do you like Harold no, Ramis, no, you the know, screenwriter? I, I'll say that I I really really like four of the screenplays on my list, and then the fifth I, is more important than one I particularly like. Uh, I think that he's I think he's very funny. I think he's very very smart, even though he doesn't always get to get to show it off. Uh, I just I think he he comes up with these good concepts and I think that he writes characters in a way that gives flexibility to the actors. Now, he largely knows who's going to be playing these parts. It's not as though he's writing a screenplay that then goes off into the ether and someone buys it and they cast it with whomever. It's a far more collaborative process. But knowing it's a more collaborative process gives him a flexibility to, to tailor his writing around the folks he's going to be working with. And I, I think he does a very good job of that. I, I think Harold Ramis is a is a a good a good writer 
yeah, I I struggled with how much credit to give Ramis specifically for Ghostbusters. Like I've alluded to it throughout the pod that this was Dan Aykroyd who grew up in a family that had a fascination with witches and the paranormal and like other dimensions and was writing this much darker, much more serious script for him, Belushi and, and Eddie Murphy. And it was going to be like the conjuring, but with the blues brothers and like Beverly Hills cop. And then he introduced uh, the script to uh, somebody at Columbia who introduced him to Reitman. And then Reitman took Aykroyd and Ramis to a beach house to do some rewriting and probably some recreational drugs. And they rewrote the script at that house for like two weeks. And lo and behold, Ghostbusters was born. So I don't know whether to attribute a lot to Reitman, to attribute more to Ramis, uh, the, the, the origins of of the script of, um, of Aykroyd. What I do know is that the one I landed on for number one is actually kind of sad when I look back. Because Groundhog Day is my number one for Ramis. It's my turn to go first, so I'll go Groundhog Day one. And like the repeat the day concept, this was the first time it was introduced to me. And it's done flawlessly. And it's more of a tribute to his direction than anything else that you believe that they're repeating the day over and over again successfully. But because of the enigma that is Bill Murray and the difficulty that he was throughout every scene of that movie, apparently, they had a falling out and didn't talk throughout the rest of their lives until Ramus was on his deathbed in the 2010s. And like in the documentary I watched, it was like very clear that um, there was a lot of regret there from both of them. Like uh, neither of them are in the, the doc, but uh, Ramus's daughter is and said in my father's final days, Bill Murray came and they, they, they made peace and, and said their, their goodbyes at the end, which is nice. But like the fact that for 20 years, Egon and Vankman didn't have a relationship, it's tough for me to swallow, especially when, when you then attribute to what the finished product of Groundhog Day ended up being. Um, but Groundhog Day is going to be my number one. My number two... Yeah, my number two is going to be Ghostbusters. Um, I think overall, the... The other part that's difficult for me with Ghostbusters is like how much of the script that's ad-libbed is what I appreciate, but I'll make Ghostbusters my number two because I do think it's the strongest script that he's a part of throughout the rest of rest of these movies. Um, Animal House is my number three. I have no idea if I'm allowed to say that Animal House is my number three, but uh, if you're looking to cancel two dudes on a podcast, I I will consistently laugh at this movie regardless of whether you allow me to. So I'll go Animal House number three. Every 80s comedy movie carries that risk. So consider this our disclaimer. <laughs> Separate the artist from the art. All yeah. of these guys have skeletons. We like these movies. I'm sorry we like these movies still. There we go. 45 minutes into the pod. We dropped That's a fine. disclaimer. Yes. That's fine. Um, Animal House is my number three. Back to School is my number four. Rodney Dangerfield literally- I have never seen that. That's you've the, never seen it? Rodney Dangerfield it. literally goes back to school. Um, I think he goes either to community college or to one of the local colleges and it ends up becoming one of the big men on campus. It's classic Dangerfield and at one of the funnier movies of the 80s. And then Stripes, a movie that we've already- Again, there are eight movies that- are literally eligible feels like in every category and stripes is one of them. Um, there are three others that I have in my honorables, but I'll leave 
it off just in case you say it. Oz, your top five Harold Ramis screenplays. My number one is one of the best scripts of the entire decade of the 90s, and that's Groundhog Day. It's brilliantly structured. Uh, it's really... it. it cuts the comedy with enough heart and pathos that I think it's really it's really saying something in a way that a lot of this era of comedy does not. Uh, I think Groundhog Day is great. My number two is Ghostbusters. My number three is Stripes. My number four is one that you should not have looped in with Analyze That because Analyze This, <laughs> Analyze this is, is a okay. brilliant farce of all of the mob movies, especially you know in the wake of Goodfellas and all those sort of things. Uh, it, it's. I think it's really smart. I think it spoofs those things hilariously. Uh, I think the the you know the Sopranos like owes a debt to analyze this, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, analyze that sucks. Uh, my number five <laughs> is Animal House, which is a movie that I appreciated very much when I was like seventeen years old, and I'm going to choose to think of it the way I thought of it when I was seventeen years old and Bingo. still like it. Yes. Is Caddyshack going to make either of our lists? I may uh, I put it I, at my number five ahead of stripes, but like that's the closest I could to make it on a list. I like Caddyshack. It's just it's it's a hair too far on the stupid side for me. <laughs> um, it's funny. I think there's mm -hmm. good moments in it. Um, and you know, certainly I can sing I'm all right uh, anytime needed, but it's not it no is the answer. Are you taking drugs? <laughs> uh, well, maybe to watch that, that would be. Yeah, ideal. I think you but, should. Uh, yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, we mentioned most of my. We mentioned all of the honorables that I had for for Remus. I think we mentioned like all of his screenplays. Yeah, we really <laughs> did. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. Something weird. Next up, a repeat category. Is Ghostbusters a top five original song? Now, I'll just real quick say my five. Lose Yourself was my number one by Eminem for 8 Mile. See You Again by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth for Furious 7. Fight the Power by Public Enemy for Do the Right Thing. Danger Zone, not Take My Breath Away by Kenny Loggins for Top Gun. And Purple Rain by Prince for Purple Rain. Uh, your five were? Uh, my five were and are uh, Falling Slowly from Once, which I will forever recommend as the greatest naturalistic musical ever made. Please watch it. Uh, number two is Lose Yourself from Eight Mile. Number three, a Bond song. We'll go with Skyfall today. Uh, number four is The Wrestler from The Wrestler, the Springsteen song. And five will be Shallow from A Star is Born. You're welcome, John Macri. Uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters would be would be an honorable mention for me. It would be in the conversation. It would be close. I think it's catchy as hell. I think it's really good. Uh, we, because I have two small children, played Halloween music for like six straight weeks. So I heard Ghostbusters basically every day, and it was one of the few that I wouldn't skip every time uh, through the playlist. So uh, yeah, Ghostbusters is a good song, and I have a bunch of honorable mentions from Disney movies and things like that. But uh, honorable mention, Ghostbusters, not going to score any points for me here, but that is a fucking catchy, killer Super fun song. So Ray Parker Jr. is a artist who wrote the song and, and performed the song. The way he wrote the song, um, he was tasked by Reitman to be the guy that came up with the theme song and that it would play over the credits. And um, he said he wanted it to be fun. 
and he was not really given a lot of guidance. And when he was told like the entire concept, he was he had such a real hard stroke or writer's block that he could he gained insomnia. And the way he discovered the inspiration was that in the middle of the night when those infomercials come on, he saw someone say, call now in one of those infomercials. And it inspired to say, who are you going to call? Ghostbuster. And it, he hummed out the tube and started writing and it. That that's literally the story of how one of the greatest '80s and literally ever original songs for a movie was was created. That's that's the origin story, as that is uh, that's amazing. I'm just gonna go on record and recklessly speculate that there were other reasons why Ray couldn't sleep and why he was up at what, you, what would those be? Aren't you, I wonder what was going on in the '80s, Oz, and why people were staying up later than normal times um the question i will ask you about this category when you think 80s movie songs is ghostbusters number one um hmm. so i mentioned three already because i said purple rain i said danger zone and then i said uh the third one was fight the power by public enemy the only other one that I could think of was "Eye of the Tiger" for. Rocky I was going to say, I, I was. That's what I was going to say. Is "Eye of the Tiger" is actually the first one that comes to mind for me. Uh, I don't think it's a good song. It's like it's like the definition of an awesomely bad song, just like the Rocky sequels are. Um, it's that's that is like the quintessential '80s movie song for me. I I think that probably highway to the danger zone is the second one i think of even though i think ghostbusters is a better song ghostbusters is is right up there probably next in the list and something like i'm all right is probably gonna come along next for me but that's you know part of this sort of comedy that i grew up on whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We never talk anymore. I'm making a rule never to get involved with possessed people. Actually, it's more of a guideline than a rule. You know, I can. I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. Next up is Ghostbusters, a top five. SNL alumni film. Now, before we get into the category, just real quick shout out to Saturday Night Live. I don't, 
I think it's safe to say the magic has been gone for a couple years. Um, I'm somebody that used to stay up and watch on Saturday nights. I'm still somebody that stays up every now and then hoping that the magic will return. And it's really been the last couple years that you can really say that it's just not not what it used to be. The, the cast is nowhere near as talented as it used to be. And I think the turning point for me when I really realized we have a history with SNL, with its its political parodies and you go throughout like just go back to the 90s specifically daryl hammond as clinton george bush played by will ferrell obama by both fred armison and jay farrow um whether it be biden or romney by sudeikis um hillary by polar and then uh, sarah palin by tina fey you had the appropriate impression played by someone in the cast and for the most recent administration, they had to go get Alec Baldwin and Jim Carrey and Melissa McCarthy and then Matt Damon as Brett Kavanaugh. All right, that that one's really good. For it Kavanaugh. was really good, but like the point is, they even had to go get an SNL alum to play Kamala Harris. Like they had to go get Maya Rudolph, proving that their cast just isn't talented enough to get the right performance. So they had to outsource it. I don't agree that they're unable to give a better performance. I think that they SNL started to thrive on like viral video culture and having, you know, Academy award nominee, like however many time Emmy winner, Alec Baldwin come in and play the role gets buzz. Oh my God. Who's going to play Joe Biden was like a thing that they stoked in the media mm-hmm. for months because they get this viral hit of it and they're afraid they're just actively terrified to let any of the good young performers there are talented people Mm. on that show who do not (laughs) get who don't get a fair shake because they keep bringing in the guest stars to play these roles and they shouldn't they should let these people grow into them and that's what they used to do they let they let them go out and fucking fail but now because like internet culture is going to freak out if someone if someone does a shitty job as biden one week then they're gonna freak out so we need to bring in a we need to bring a celebrity in every single time i'm not saying there aren't talented people working at snl clearly there are like chloe Feynman is awesome chloe and she gets Fine nothing to do every good. week uh, pete davidson is sucks yeah, he's He's become more of a celebrity than an actual like sketch art uh, actor anymore. He's a good Knicks fan, uh, but like I'm always going to be a fan of Keenan because uh, I grew up on Keenan and Kel. Uh, I think Chris Red has a lane, and he's really good. Uh, like there are, like, I I can nitpick and find the funny when I really go searching for it. But I don't, I don't think the cast is as wide ranging as you think it is. Come on. Bowen, Bowen Yang is good. Mm, Beck Bennett is good. There's a lot. There's, there's funny people on there who are not properly utilized. They're not given the the freedom that that cast used to have. I like Alex Moffat to, to get coked up like crazy and go do some ridiculous shit. Like they, they're just not given the sort of leeway and freedom they used, they, they used to have. If you watch an old episode of SNL, we mythologize the hell out of this stuff. Number one, when they rebroadcast SNL, it's always 60 minutes instead of 90 minutes because they <laughs> cut the 30 minutes of shit. Literally, they, they back-to-back mm-hmm. SNL every night on Saturday with a shortened version, a greatest hits version of other episodes. Number two, a lot of what we see of SNL are like pulled together clip shows or those V VHS tapes and DVDs of like Will Ferrell's greatest hits or Eddie Murphy's greatest hits where you just see the good stuff and miss the fact that all through the 70s, 80s and 90s, there's dog baby skits all the time. What I think you're you're missing from what I'm saying is that 
like you're still listing cast members. You're sure. still talking about people that could go off on their own and create something. Like Eddie Murphy was an icon that borderline saved SNL while also being the biggest movie star that existed. Um, you couldn't wait to see what the host was going to do with the members of the cast, like with Eddie, with Chevy Chase, with Will Ferrell, with uh, Kristen Wiig and Jason Sudeikis and, and all of these like comedy icons that are there. And I don't feel like that exists anymore. Uh, Simu Liu, Shang Chi is hosting this weekend. I have no expectations for who you know he interacts with. There's not a single person that I can't wait to see him in a sketch with. But I just hope he's funny, and I think that is a testament to how far down the pecking order SNL has fallen, and specifically, you know, their casting choices. Now, like part of it is what you're saying that it's just not, you know as important as it used to be because you could you used to need SNL in order to gain popularity or notoriety and now like so perfect example Sarah Cooper the the girl that did all the, those lip syncing uh, videos of Trump press conferences like in the past she has to go get discovered on SNL by auditioning and then becomes a star instead just play with your phone for a couple hours a day and you become a, a Netflix star. And as a result, that is how a lot of more talented people that used to need to be discovered on an avenue like SNL find their way into the industry now. There's also a billion things to watch. It's not the cultural touchstone it used to be because it can't be the cultural touchstone it used to be because there's too much there's too much content. So the Fair. the the cap for how big anything on SNL can be isn't anywhere near as high as it was when like Eddie Murphy was on it or when Sandler was on it or even when Will Ferrell was on it. And look, SNL has made people who are incredibly successful. Sudeikis comes from SNL and the dude's going to win the next seven Emmys for Ted Lasso. Uh, Bill Hader, I, I Barry's as good a show as is on TV comes from SNL. Now, maybe the problem is that they're getting actors who are like too good uh, right now and don't don't want to do like goofy sketch comedy all the time but they don't do a good job of balancing i mean there was that year where kate mckinnon showed up in every single sketch and was clearly so like burned out and disinterested by the end of the season it was just kind of a, a bummer to see but like Kristen wig was awesome and then went off and did good things tina fey was awesome and went off and good and did good things we're in a weird period because we're transitioning that sort of generation left we're waiting to see what these current folks move on and do, but it's been a long, long time since SNL was appointment viewing because of an actor and what they were actually actively doing on SNL at that time. It's Will My Ferrell. Point. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that, that's 20 years. And that's also reflects the change in the industry. I just, I, I just don't buy the notion that the actors today are, are, you know, uniformly shittier or across the board shittier than they were when like Will Ferrell was on. Will Ferrell was the, the breakout star of that time, but the cast is deep and the cast is strong. They're just not as, as well utilized as they could be. And I get it. It's, it's just not important mm, anymore. We may just have to agree to disagree on this then, because even in the Will Ferrell led cast, you had Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon and Tracy Morgan. And like, even the lower level stars like Rachel Dratch and you, Molly we're, Shannon. We're really going to talk about Rachel Dratch compared to, to Chloe Feynman. 
You like Rachel Dratch better than like A.D. Bryant? Like, come on. I, they literally go back to Rachel Dratch every time they need somebody from Boston. Like, they had her on for when Natalie Borton was hosting and the sketch with the Patriots against the Eagles where she was the lead Patriot and they had Tina Fey come in and play the lead Eagle from Philadelphia. There's nobody on the cast that could do that. Now, so, like, to your point, maybe it's that SNL believes, like, Similar to me, they also don't believe in their cast, so they never give them the opportunities like you're suggesting because they don't think that they'll get the eyeballs necessary to have that type of sketch bit pulled off. Yet, like, I don't personally see anybody from this cast carrying a movie while admittedly Pete Davidson did just carry the King, the King of Staten I was Island. Saying, Pete, Pete Davidson but, like, carried the thing two is, movies like, last year. What's the second one? That one that was on Hulu that I, of course, now can't think of the fucking oh, name of. Oh, he's like a, he's a drug, uh, he's a he's drug. Like, yeah, he's like the, the druggy bad influence on the kid. That's a good movie. King of Staten Island is good, but it really did feel like it was a film made for Pete Davidson. He had to go back to find all of the feelings from when his dad died as a fireman in order to be, do that performance. There's nothing else. It still counts. It still counts. I mean, Fine. look, so you, the you, one you, you, can get, that. Uh, you can get that or you can get like 50 Cent doing the same thing and be like, holy shit, this is the worst thing I've ever fucking seen. Get Rich or Die Trying is bad uh also big time adolescence is the name of the movie that i could not think of the name of that is a good movie and a good performance and he produced that movie his baby i still think i wasn't the bigger fan of big time adolescence i do think he's okay in king of staten island but a lot of it seemed like he was working out his issues on screen which is why i felt for him not the what, character he plays in the what movie the fuck is martin scorsese doing when he makes silence or the last temptation of Christ. Like th this is what filmmakers and actors do but for I'm forever is work out I'm, their issues on screen. But I'm saying Pete Davidson had to do a movie about a guy that lived in Staten Island and lost his dad, a firefighter. I don't see him being successful doing anything else. The point is there's no Beverly Hills cop franchise coming from anybody on this cast. There's no ghostbusters coming from anybody on this cast. There's no like horrible bosses coming from anybody on this cast that's where my point is that like anchorman is not going to be incepted from this cast you know that's where i i land on this i mean there was literally a ghostbusters from someone in this cast but right but whatever. wig and leslie jones aren't I mean, even well, actually Bar barb and star is getting a sequel there you go you got a franchise that was a good movie okay we're cl you're clearly missing where I'm saying the cutoff. No, no, is. I, 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 I'm I, saying no. it's gotten bad. Okay, because I, I think I'm, Kristen. I buy on Kristen Wiig. I buy it on Sudeikis. I'm not even saying like up until 2015. I, I wasn't all know, in. I'm literally saying I couldn't wait to see how they parodied the Trump era, and I thought they did it horribly. It was just the same Alec Baldwin joke over and over again. I agree with that, which frustrated me. Like Ben Stiller has to come in and save them, but Matt Damon has to come in and save them, but. Brad Pitt has to come in and play Fauci. Like it became less and less about how that is was, SNL going to do this. Brad Pitt playing Fauci was last year though. I mean, the, I the, that's, but that's, that's my point. That's fucking Lauren. That's Lauren getting into the star fuckery because that's how they won a bunch of Emmys. Cause SNL got to have primetime weekday slots again because those the political skits did so well. We got to have weekend update on like Thursday nights all summer because of how big the Trump stuff made the show again. So that's the defense is that weekend update 
Hayes. I really like Che. I really like Jost. I watched Che's new special. They're really good. As far as the actual sketches go, I could not tell you the last time. It's definitely not in the last four or five years that I've been like, the sketches are on point. I'm in. These are funny. It's really like since 2016, which I think is the cutoff here. I'm saying it hasn't been what I come to expect or grew up on SNL. Let me give you a credit in one way here. I think the sketches, like the raw sketches in front of the audience are definitely lacking. I think the pre-prepared sketches, the music videos that they do, stuff like that, that stuff is frequently fantastic. Like the fake commercials they do are unbelievable. Uh, And I think that may actually be the the big rift here um, of where we're sort of separating. I'm incorporating that. I'm giving them credit for that. Like the the pre-produced stuff counts. It's part of SNL. It's not just the live studio audience shtick. I think it's, I think for me personally, it's much closer to like four or five a season that they get right. The weird little flute when, when, uh, when Carrie Mulligan was hosting and it was Khalifa as the musical guest, the on the couch ballad when they had the weekend there with Daniel Craig, the Oscar the Grouch parody. Like I do like appreciate when they get it right. They've just gotten it so few right so few times over the last couple of years and i attribute that to the fact that fred armison's not there anymore they don't even have like a bobby moynihan uh jason sudeikis christian wig even andy samberg is not there anymore nobody misses andy listen samberg you talked about the pre-planned sketches lonely island and their snl digital shorts has a lot to do with that so that's where i come down on this side is that i think because, as you mentioned, SNL doesn't matter as much anymore. The top candidates for comedy aren't going there to find their avenue. And as a result, the talent pool gets diluted. You know, I actually think we largely agree with that SNL has too. problems the last few years. I just think, yeah. the, I think the, the structure of the show is more to blame. You think the actors are more to blame. That's the only real split here. I think the actors are good and misused. You think the actors are not good enough, and that's why they're going to these other people. Maybe. I think that's our split. I mean, we we agree. SNL, SNL's been lost it the last couple of years. They infamously fired an entire cast in the 90s, and that cast included Chris Rock and Adam Sandler. I mean, some of those people, Chris Rock was terrible. I mean, like Robert yeah. Downey Jr. was on SNL. It was fucking terrible. There are plenty of people who are great actors or great stars who are not SNL people. I guess as somebody who still watches consistently like i haven't seen many breakouts that i'm like i i bet if they were used like chris red's maybe one but there's not it's like beck i love i love alex real quick and beck bennett's not on it anymore he left last year moffat's on like the guy with a boat that shit's funny i can see i can name a character that's recurring on on snl that's good I, this is the best part of comedy is take it. It's it's subjective. (laughs) I think I'm on my third guy with a boat sketch and I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't really get like this bit, but it clearly works for Oz. The whole category that we're here to discuss is SNL alumni films. The criteria. So I actually had a question that I never asked you throughout this week. When you say SNL alumni, is it literally any film that stars in? Okay. So what do you mean by SNL alumni? It's sort of an intangible vibe. It's it's the pornography thing. You know it when you see it. Um, like Iron Man is technically an SNL alumni film that will not be appearing on my list, even if I think Iron Man might be better than some of the movies on my list. It needs to have a feel of the sort of SNL do-it-yourselfness. It needs to have SNL cast members. 
I didn't restrict myself to it has to be two members or three members or whatever uh, for my list. But I think all of them have the same, you know, expanded out sketch comedy feel, uh, something along those lines um, that I think is, is, is the essence of SNL. And I think improv was an important part of what I considered movies that either are very improv or feel very improv and come from the SNL tree generally. So for my, I did it similarly. And for my list, I, I wanted the, and I, I hinted at it during our, our first real argument on this show. Um, I hinted at it that like the inception of the idea for the movie, if it was like a script being written while this person was a writer and this other person was an actor, if like they got Lorne Michaels backing to go write or do this movie, then like that's an option. Like that's where I look at it and say, this is an SNL alumni movie in that the seeds were originally planted at SNL and then it became a movie. I didn't want like, there's like the ladies man. Is it going to pop up other movies that were sketches on SNL and then became movies unnecessarily didn't pop up for me but if the the origins of this movie started by two people while they were cast members saying you know what we should do a movie this summer that's what i thought of as an snl alumni movie oz you get to go first this time your top five snl alumni films i'm gonna have a little broader definition than you i think but okay uh, we'll, we'll get to the right place here. My number one is going to be Ghostbusters. I love Ghostbusters. I think it's wonderful. I think it's as good as these sort of improv slap together movies go. It's great. Uh, my number two, I don't think will fit your definition, but hopefully you'll, you'll allow it, uh, is Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, which is completely full of SNL people. Uh, obviously, this is Will Ferrell's uh, perhaps signature role. Um, this movie is very funny and very good and I love it. Uh, also, I think it's the writer is the former head writer of SNL. Adam, Adam McKay. Yes. So well, Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. I think he was the, I think he was the lead writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is going to be bridesmaids. I am not going to put Ghostbusters 2016 on any of my lists today, but I do like Paul Feig. I think he's a very talented comedic director. Uh, and I think bridesmaids, bridesmaids fits the, sort of spirit and good stuff of modern SNL. My number four uh, is Animal House. Fuck off if you don't like that. Uh, my number five, I really, really struggled with this. I have two movies that are, are kind of a coin flip here for me that I both, I, I think both are kind of objectively bad, but are also very funny. I'm going to switch. I was going to say, and it, permit me to bleed over to, to six right now. I was going to say old school five, but then mm-hmm. I remembered how much I hate Joker and Todd Phillips. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to put old school six because it's, okay. it's retroactively less funny because I think of Todd Phillips involvement. I'm going to put Austin Powers, international man of mystery as my number five. I promise we do not compare notes. You gotta be fucking kidding. I, I, oh God. Again. So, you're right. Adam McKay did write the write the script to Anchorman. Originally wrote the script to Anchorman while he was the head writer. He and Will Ferrell had this idea. They passed it around Hollywood. They never nailed the Anchorman part of it, but it was similar to just 70s misogyny was what they were interested in and parodying that. And then Will Ferrell watched an old news clip and decided... This is exactly what we should be doing. That's why Anchorman is my number one SNL film, uh, SNL alumni film. That is a movie literally birthed at 30 Rock and then 
made its way onto the big screen. Um, when we, I, I wondered if we should do greatest comedy of all time for this. We're doing horror comedy for today. Anchorman ranks very high. It's arguably the the second most quotable movie in my life to this day, where I will end sentences with questions when I'm unsure about something with like, I'm run Burgundy. Um, what do you want for dinner? You know, I, when I'm not <laughs> sure of something, I end it with a question and emphasize that way. Anchorman's my number one. Ghostbusters is my number two. Bridesmaids is my number three. Fuck me. Austin Powers International Man of Mystery is my number four. And then wow. my number five is Mean Girls, which was written by uh, Tina Fey, um, starring Lindsay Lohan and uh, Rachel McAdams. And I just one of the better uh, coming of age movies about based off of a book that uh, Tina Fey adapted when she wrote the movie. Uh, so Mean Girls is my number five with Blues Blo- Blues Brothers, a close number five and number six. So um, yeah, we do not, com- all that, that, that back and forth about SNL and it turns out our lists were almost identical. Perfect. What Perfect. did you think I was going to agree with on Anchorman? Uh, it's not Anchorman. I, I I wasn't sure if you were going to count some of these as like within the scope of SNL. Oh, yeah. Because Anchorman is also sort of the Apatow side, which is like the Chicago scene. I don't know. I don't no, know. Adam McKay, he went on Simmons Pod maybe two years ago when he, when he was promoting Vice. How's that? Um, yes. When he was discussing that movie, he went on Simmons Pod. He's also done a lot of work on the Lebitard show where he said like, yeah, we were discussing the script for Anchorman while I was the head writer at 30 Rock. And then the moment I stopped being the head writer is when I seriously decided to finish it and when we wrote the script. So um, your honorable mentions for SNL alumni. I'm just, I'll, I'll stick with old school. There are a million movies that could go here, but it gets so hard to and unwieldy to to define. Mm-hmm. I will say one movie. I, I want to take the incepted SNL movie. There's one, I think it had six or seven SNL alumni in it, but only one had been on SNL before the movie existed. And then they all ended up on SNL later, which is Spinal Tap. Movie that will come up a little later. <laughs> which is a fantastic, funny movie. I love it. Christopher Guest is amazing. But it's it's like an inverse SNL movie because SNL ended up hiring, I think, like five cast members after Spinal Tap had come out. So Spinal Tap, it was a 1984 movie that will come up in, in just a second. Um, my honorable mention will either be Tommy Boy, um, Wayne's World, or, and this is, this, this again speaks to my affection for Andy Samberg. Uh, Hot Rod is one of, uh, the movies I watched the most because it was one of the original Netflix movies. Not that it was like a Netflix movie, but like it was available on Netflix and like on Redbox when I was a freshman in college. So what did my dorm mates and I rent and watch every Friday? But, Hot Rod. I I could quote. So, who am I supposed to build ramps for now? Oz? Who am I supposed to build ramps for now? Uh, Hot Rod will be my other honorable mention. Are you a MacGruber guy? No, I'm not. Yeah, me unfortunately, okay. yeah. I I mentioned the Ladies Man because that had a similar cable run with uh, yeah, that's, that that's uh, Tim Meadows and and Will Ferrell um, and Hillary from Karen Parsons. Hillary from the Fresh Prince, not playing Hillary from the Fresh Prince, which completely blew my mind. Um, I, I as a kid found it much funnier. Watch it once as an adult, and it was basically me finding out Santa Claus isn't real. That's how um, I felt about Night at the Roxbury. Yes, that one, that, same. That one hurt me to come. Oh back my to. gosh, 
the the Super Bowl commercial where they're all banging their heads left and right because they were falling asleep and then had a Pepsi? <laughs> yeah, that's that that's what it's been reduced to. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I am Vince. Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. Volkus Sildrawar, Lord of the Sebulia. Are you the gatekeeper? Hey, he pulls the wagon. I make the deals. You want to ride? Wait for the sign. Then all prisoners will be released. You will perish in flames! What an asshole. Next up... Uh, is Ghostbusters a top five film of 1984? This year is loaded, which is why, Oz, I get to ask you, do you know the top five oh, highest f- grossing one of these movies weeks, I'm gonna fucking look it of up. 1984? Uh, all right. I, I know that the top two are Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, correct. Uh, and Ghostbusters. Uh, so, and you said Ghostbusters at the beginning. So, I real, quick, say, real quick, real quick, real um, quick. I need to correct you because Ghostbusters is number two. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is number three. Um, what'd you say the other one was? No, those are the only two I've said. Oh, I, thought, so th- I thought you said Ghostbusters was the top grossing movie in your. In it's the, the highest prologue. grossing comedy of all oh. time, but there's another movie that is, I guess, not considered a comedy that was number one this year. The karate Kid. Some. The Karate, karate kid, kid is number five. So you got number five. There's two more. Gremlins. Gremlins is number four, so you're missing number one. How the f- is it? Think, is it think actually SNL? An, think SNL alumni. Is it actually a 1983 movie that made all its money in 1984? No, this is 1984. I have no idea. Beverly I, Hills Cop. Oh, son of a bitch! Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I and that have movie's a, awesome too. Damn that it, movie is very awesome. Uh, I have. I just want to double check something. The Terminator made $78 million, which puts it at just below number 10. So it made, it's made $78 million all all time. But for this year, Splash is your number 10 at $69 million. 1984 is a stacked year. I'm on... So we've discussed this a few times, but Starman for a science fiction movie with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen um, is a movie I adore. And it is my number 11 for 1984. Um, this, this eighty four is a stacked year. In fact, there are some movies on here that I enjoy the sequel more than the, the, than the actual movie. And yet here we are. I'm still like, I still adore the actual movie that was made. Um, what do you think of 1984 as a year? I think 84 is a stacked year for populist movies ah, and mainstream okay, okay. movies and some of the, so a24 would have had a bad year here is what uh, you're it's, saying. it's if uh, the best picture field is dog sh- the winner is great but the best picture field is dog shit the foreign film nominee field is dog shit this is a a, a very bad year at the art house and a very strong year uh for mainstream movies very, very strong. Best picture nominees are The Killing Fields, which is a good. Passenger to India, which is not uh, Places in the Heart. I've not a, seen 
a soldier's story. I don't know what and, that is. And uh, the winner, Amadeus. Which is a masterpiece. Yes. Um, by Milos Forman, the director. Um, uh, this movie won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor this yep. year. And double um, Best Actor nominee. One of the few. Yes. Uh, F. Murray Abraham... Oh, double best actor because Tom yeah. Sal- okay. Salieri won and Amadeus was a runner up. Okay. Is it, it's my turn to go first for. Sure. Go for lists. it. Okay. Uh, top five films of 1984. So The Terminator is my number one. And I am back and forth on whether it should be my number one because Ghostbusters is right there. And I think if I'm talking about my favorite action movies of the 80s, The Terminator is right up there with two very strong other ones. If you're talking about, I mean, I've mentioned The Terminator on the pod in the past for villains, on the past for uh, for sci-fi. Um, it's It's the inception of one of my favorite two back-to-back movies that have ever existed. And I even like have a soft spot for the rest, which are bad, but like I'm able to appreciate the structure and how, you know, it, it you, you go back into the world where Skynet and technology takes over the world, you know, um, I'll take it. Uh, so Terminators one, Ghostbusters two, um, I'm going Purple Rain number three, and a lot of this has to do with just the fact that I've become such a big Prince fan since he passed away. Literally the day he passed away, and I saw the reception to Prince, and I like just never become, n- never really caught on to how big of a deal he was. I grew up in a house that was a Michael Jackson house. So it was like Prince versus Michael Jackson was always going to be MJ. And then Prince passed away. And some people I respected were like, actually, this is the greatest, one of the greatest performers of all time has the greatest Super Bowl halftime show of all time. And, you know, Prince, eventually his music became more widely available. And as a result, this soundtrack and then this movie just have really jumped for me. My number four for all. Which, which means you're prepared to put Batman over the Dark Knight now. Is that right? Am I? Am I now? Is I that where so. we're going with I this? So. No, but nice try. Um, my number four for all the baseball fans out there uh, is the natural. Um, the home run scene, the score for the home run scene, it's arguably like the greatest baseball scene of all time. Um, there are other ones that are up there, but every single important moment at a baseball game has been scored to that home run theme playing in the background since this movie came out. It feels like Um and just like a really solid Robert Redford performance. You want to talk about OPS. This guy shows up as like a 50 year old playing major league baseball and has like a 1100 OPS over the span of like three months. It's actually pretty incredible. Um, and then my number five is temple of doom while listen, the karate kid, it was so tough to leave this off. Same thing for Beverly Hills Cop, but I'm hoping that my art house friend will relieve me and put some, puts one of them, if not both of them on his list. He's giving me a look right now that says he won't. So I'll just turn it over to Oz. Your top five movies of 1984. Uh, Number one is a movie that has come up a few times today. Uh, It's a little comedy called Ghostbusters. Uh, Ghostbusters (laughs) is, is my number one. Uh, It is fucking great. And it it has really uh, special effects aside has aged spectacularly. My number two, as I've mentioned, as I just called it a masterpiece, like six times is Amadeus, which I've picked like six other times in categories on this Mm, podcast. Biopics. Yeah. Uh, Yep. Indiana Jones at the Temple of is my number three. Uh, it is not the best 
Indiana Jones movie, but that doesn't mean it's anything less than an absolutely great movie. It's fantastic. Particularly strong is the first scene in the club is just unbelievable filmmaking by Spielberg. Uh, Temple of Doom is good. Four is Once Upon a Time in America, which has also come up on this podcast before. And it's like, I don't know, six and a half hours long or something like that. Uh, good movie. Uh, my number five. Here's where we go way the fuck off grid. I don't even know if you've heard of this. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a movie directed by Jonathan Demme, who would go on to direct Silence of the Lambs. Uh, it's called Swing Shift. It is about a woman played by Goldie Hawn who's working in a factory during World War II while her husband, Ed Harris, goes off to war and she picks up sort of a flirtation with Kurt Russell. Uh, it's kind of a it's a good 80s romance film. It's kind of a legendary box office flop, too. Uh, and I have betrayed all of these fun 80s movies to pick uh, a love triangle movie um, with Ed Harris. So... Uh, yeah, that that's that's where I'm coming down for fifth place. I have a fuckload of honorable mentions. I'm just going to spew them out and say, and they're roughly in order here. Are they honorable? Uh, <laughs> well, some of them. Okay. Uh, Gremlins, Spinal Tap. Spinal 16- Tap's up there for me, too. This is Spinal Tap is one of my favorite like parody document mockumentaries. Yeah. Mockumentary, you know? yep. Uh, 16 Candles is good. The Karate Kid. Beverly Hills Cop, Terminator, uh, Nausicaa, the Studio Ghibli movie, Muppets Take Manhattan is a good Muppets movie, and The Natural will close my honorable mentions. This is Nightmare on Elm Street. This is oh, the is, it, for- is this Nightmare is this Nightmare One? Nightmare is definitely on my honorable. Yeah, also. this sure. is that. That's why I was wondering if this this definitely, didn't come definitely. this didn't come up much in the Halloween pod, but you have this like six year stretch where you Halloween Friday Thirteenth Nightmare, and then. I mean, I got to include Texas Chainsaw in the, so I should say a 10 year stretch where you get those four and the, those franchises kind of take over the the horror industry for the next, you know, two decades. Um, yeah, I think, I think we did 84 justice. We had the populist in myself and we had uh, the art house in yourself and we both end up with Ghostbusters, either one <laughs> or two, proving just how good this movie actually is. Is it a top five film of the 80s for you? I'll just quickly say it's not for me. I did the exercise of just uh, Raiders is my number two. And then I just kept writing down movies until I knew that Ghostbusters is not above it. So your top five if if ghostbusters made it what is would just most ghostbusters make your top five of the decade it does not i still have raiders at two um it's close i think if if we're going 10 or 15 it would be in there it's very close but uh no it's not it's not gonna make my top five these men are consummate snowball artists they use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations people think they're seeing ghosts and they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with the fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. But we have another category specifically made just for Ghostbusters, and it's 80s comedy. So is Ghostbusters a top five 80s comedy? 
I will ask you the same way I asked you when we did um, greatest horror movie. And just like the way I did it was I don't measure the quality of the movie or the plot. There are some plots that don't make sense in my favorite comedies. I'm literally just counting laugh for laugh, you know, and it's similar to the last category where it's like it's horror, but like how many laughs did I make? And it's almost like a tally where I'm going for quantity over quality. Did you do similar for that with these last two comedy categories? I did similar with uh, a, a particular focused tangible embrace of 80s kitsch so uh you know i i i love i'm gonna use spinal tap as an example i love Mm -hmm. spinal tap it's not gonna make my list because it's just it's not really it it came out in the 80s but it's not an 80s movie um i feel the same way about uh fish called wanda it's a fucking great movie but it's not really an 80s movie i'm focusing (laughs) in on on what are are, what are really like 80s feeling comedies to me here that is an interesting that's an interesting wrinkle because I I went laugh for laugh with what I, like, I I'll the say total I have, laughs of the 80s, you know? I have one that now I'm thinking maybe I quibble if it's quite 80s enough. I think it gets in. I think the hair in particular makes sure it gets in, but I have one that, that's borderline in my top five. But So I actually think there's a Mount Rushmore for comedy that... Uh, see that it's disrespectful to Ghostbusters to say it. I'll actually go from five to one because Ghostbusters is my number five okay. for the eighties. Um, and then for me personally, there is a top four that for uh, it's just unassailable. These are the four funniest movies in my life from the eighties. And at number four, it's coming to America at number three, it's Spaceballs. at number two, it's airplane. And at number one, it's major league. Your top five comedies of the 80s, Oz. Uh, My number one is Ghostbusters, which shouldn't be a shock. Uh, My number two begs the important question, perhaps the most important question ever asked during the 80s. And that's if Jesus Christ could hit a curveball. My number two is Major League. Uh, my number three is kind of the the quintessential coming of age 80s comedy. And that's going to be Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. All right. uh, which is in the Criterion Collection, by I the way. I figured, yeah. Uh, yeah. My, but that's not, that is not a Criterion Collection movie. My number four is Coming to America, which fucking rocks. And my number five is probably, it's just been like beaten into me because it's probably the movie that I've seen the, the most on like buses to field trips when i was a little kid and things like that uh and that's ferris bueller's day off Mm. which is the movie that everyone always puts on it's extraordinarily 80s uh it's wonderful lead performance uh ferris bueller's day off is good um that is my that is my fifth place i have a shitload of honorable mentions but yeah so ferris is an honorable for me and if he wasn't such a sociopath what he does to that car i like that he's a sociopath okay never mind who am i talking to yes I, I I don't know why Alan Ruck's character sticks around as long as he does with this friend who is not so, a friend so to that the he point could, where go he ahead. Could, that that's what that's what Kendall does to him and that's how he grows up yeah. that way in succession. So <laughs> it's a it's an origin story is what you're saying. Uh my only other we've said most of my honorable mentions. It was a toss up for Bill Murray performances with Caddy Shacker Ghostbusters, and I went with Ghostbusters as my number five. Um and then trading places we've said spinal tap, we've said those were my seven and my eight. Um, your honorables does list off a bunch. Stripes, planes, trains, and automobiles, airplane, blues brothers, heathers, getting a little darker there, trading places, fish called Wanda, spinal tap. Yeah. The eighties. Lots of, there's lots of very funny things in the eighties. Lots of good mainstream comedy. 
We've been talking around it. A lot of coked up scripts that the performances that made its way to the big screen in the 80s and yes. bled over into the 90s. All right. This chick is toast. Show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. Last but not least, the genre. Is Ghostbusters a top five horror comedy? Um, I mean, I usually ask this for, you've said the, you know, when you see it. Man, the horror part of this and how there is like a, a paranormal aspect of the ending I'm never in fear, although there are like some moments with the Sigourney Weaver character where like her her parts in the in the um, in the apartment. And I mean, look, a little more trivia for you. The original first screening of Ghostbusters had un had no special effects in it. So when she opens up the fridge for the screen for the, the people in the audience, it just said special effect goes here <laughs> and then cuts back to Sigourney's reaction. There was no Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in the scene when they're originally showing. And then the entire ending when they're pointing the guns and then eventually crossing the streams, again, vis- special effect goes here. Uh, just, again, speaks to the 80s and how... Speaks to this movie and how, like, not lazily it was made, but how rushed it was made. Well, it's not just rushed. There's also some some uh, beneath the surface stuff that I, I think they're doing. I mean, this is a movie that that culminates in four dudes holding phallus shaped guns from their crotch, <laughs> uh-huh. crossing the streams with one another, and as a result, ending up covered in gooey white stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a clear sort of trolling the system puckishness yes. that they do in all of these movies. I mean, we we. We touched on it with stripes and and you know sort of the the Reagan era essence of Ghostbusters, where sure they're doing that ostensibly because that's what you have to do to like get your movie funded and made, and then they're mm-hmm. simultaneously pissing on it and undercutting it, and I I think that's a. a a big part of all of this. Uh, yeah. I did similar with the eighties comedies that if a movie had horror, uh, ish elements to it, but I laughed my ass off, then this, this is, it's how I did my list. It's how I decided whether I could put something on my list. Um, I look, there's some like decent movies on my list, which is interesting. Cause I don't, think you look for comedy and you look for the brilliance of it. You look for, you know, the good time, the fun of it. Um, but it's your turn to go first. Wrap us up, Oz. Your top five horror comedies. All right. Uh, there are there's at least one movie on here that I suspect no one has ever heard of. But here we go. Uh, my number one is going to be not Ghostbusters. It's Shaun. It's okay. Shaun of the it's Shaun of the Dead. Which, oh, okay. <laughs> if you listen to our last night in Soho episode, uh, my love for Edgar Wright is quite strong. I think he's brilliant. I think it is a hilarious comedy i think it's a brilliant subversion and embrace of zombie movies i think Shaun of the dead is is pretty much a perfect comedy uh my number two is going to be ghostbusters my number three is where we go to a movie that i i think quite literally made like seven hundred dollars in the united states uh and that is a movie from the director shinichiro ueda uh it's a movie called one cut of the dead and this is a movie that you Perhaps I, I'm very 
reluctant to say anything about it except to say that I give it my strongest recommendation. It is a movie where the there, there's a lot going on, um, but when you watch it, you'll see it is a very low budget zombie movie filmed all in one take. But I would recommend that you read nothing about it. Uh, you watch it. And then you thank me 90 minutes later because it is uh, one of the most joyous, hilarious film-watching experiences I have ever had. One Cut of the Dead. Uh, my number four is What We Do in the Shadows. Taika Waititi's Taika, yeah. breakout uh, vampire comedy uh, that now has also a wonderful TV show on FX that has spun out of that universe. And my number five... I wanted to pick something fun. It doesn't upset the numbers or anything here. I really loved the movie Freaky with oh, Vince, with with, Vince Vaughn and with Vince Vaughn uh, the chick and, from uh, the Karate Kid movie, uh, the Karate Kid show. Yeah, uh, that movie is is really funny. It's really good. I, honestly, it, it's I, I don't think Vince Vaughn is a good actor, but in that mm-hmm. he's unbelievable. It's about a, it's the same concept as Freaky Friday, but applied to a serial killer. So a teen girl wakes up in the body of a serial killer and the serial killer in the body of a teen girl. Uh, and Vince Vaughn is a really just a, a wonderful 17 year old girl. Uh, that movie is definitely worth tracking down. It's super funny. Uh, I horror comedy is great. Currently available on HBO Max. If you want just like a fun that hour to 40 minute movie that is like a, a decent watch came out last year and I, I saw it during the pandemic. It was one of the first, like when theaters reopened, it was available and it was like, I just want to go watch a movie in a movie theater. Okay. God damn it. I just want to go and experience this again. And I was pleasantly surprised. I, I'm going to say, I want to toss in one cut of the dead is on AMC plus whatever the fuck that is shutter. And you can rent it on all of the usual iTunes and, Amazons and voodoos of the world. Okay. Please um, do it. So I have, I mean, I have four in my honorables that you mentioned. Um, <laughs> I don't, I've never seen One Cut of the Dead, but I enjoy, uh, Sean is literally my number really eight. You really like One Would Cut I of really the like Dead. Would I really like it? You would really like it. Well then, it's on my list, so maybe it could be on your guys' list too. Um, no surprise, Ghostbusters is my number one. It's probably the movie I think of when I think of horror comedy. Um my number two is a movie that came out two years ago called Ready or Not. Um, oh, yeah. It's so good. I thought about that. Woman goes to her boyfriend's house for a holiday or some type of... It's for a wedding. That's a, it's it's a wedding. Her, yeah. That's right. It's her wedding. And on the night of her reception, she finds out that they have this ritual that they do where they play hide and seek. And um, oh no, so no, it's not hide and seek. They're they're hunting her throughout the night. That's what it is. She has to survive the night to be a part of the family. And she like thinks it's all a joke. Then she sees the weapons that they're wielding throughout, and she's like, like actually understanding that this is what she's married into. And it's just like a really fun satire about like you marry the whole family, and like they use the house effectively throughout the movie it, it's just like a really fun ending as well the last shot of this movie is perfect um yes ready or not would be my number two killer adam brody adam brody's so good yes uh shawn of the dead's my number three for what oz every reason that Oz said uh my number four is zombie land a movie that we mentioned yep. uh for bill murray and <laughs> specifically for bill murray this is um emma stone before she became emma stone this is uh woody and a Bit of a comeback. It felt like it had been a while since we had seen him in anything funny or even good. And then Zombieland shows up and it's like, all right, yeah. I actually like dig the sequel too. And I'm burying the lead, but literally the lead, Jesse Eisenberg in this movie before the social network. So um, 
you know, before he had really become part of our lives. Um, my number five, I look, there's a, I think this movie is ridiculous, but I actually think I've laughed at it more than any other comedy I just lift, listed. Uh, early in the 2000s, uh, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, they all got together and did a parody of themselves. They all, Jay Baruchel, Danny McBride, um, uh, oh my Channing God, Tatum. Yes, Channing Tatum's in it. Uh, the entire cast of Superbad is in it. Michael Sarah shows up. Um, who uh, who am I blanking on? Oh my gosh, the guy from The Office. Uh, Daryl from The Office. Oh, um, Craig Robinson. Cra- Craig Robinson's in it. Uh, in a movie called This Is The End, they all gather for a party, a Hollywood party at James Franco's house. And all of a sudden, the apocalypse happens. And... The, the main seven of this movie batten down the hatches and board up all of the walls while the apocalypse is going on outside. And it's, it's a, it's a very funny satire of like their real life personas. There's an ongoing bit that Jonah Hill is a dick now because he's been nominated for two Oscars and he leans into it that like, yeah, I was talking to Leo and my buddy Marty on set and I could, I could, I could introduce you and he's just playing the pretentious Hollywood. Now I've been nominated type. Um, then he gets possessed later in the movie and there's this, a phony go- um, exorcist parody that happens that is just he's like mocking the 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 priest reading off all the spells really is that compelling the power of Christ I don't feel all that compelled right now uh, there's a really funny Emma Stone uh, Emma Watson cameo yeah. in this as well and then the final scene just as somebody who grew up during the boy band era just hits me right in the heart. Uh, this is the end will be my number five. Um, my biggest honorable mention that I wanted to say is a movie called happy death day, a repeat oh, yeah, the day good. movie, uh, from, uh, early, I think it was 2016 or 2017 where, um, a girl, she, she is killed by a serial killer in a mask. And instead of dying, she wakes up and repeats the day over and over again. So while she's being hunted, it's, she, literally figuring out the uh the mystery of what's going on and and she's hunting her serial killer and who it is while having to die over and over again um i have one more honorable i think we should end with it oz what are your honorable mentions uh i really like your your ones that i didn't name ready or not is awesome those guys are doing scream five the directors of that which is oh, okay. super exciting uh, i didn't like the scream five trailer but knowing they made it has given me faith uh happy death day is great happy death day to you which mm-hmm. is the sequel is actually pretty good uh i like zombie land that was on mine gremlins is is good which didn't get enough love today as a 1980s horror comedy uh and i'll go i'll toss uh the cabin in the woods out there as a very good comedic horror movie. i th- i think the satire is so ridiculous in Cabin in the Woods that, again, the laugh for laugh moments yeah. of it are not as prevalent. And then it's more of a, oh, I see what you did there kind of movie. Um, I'm just going to say the title and I'm not even going to tell people to watch it. I'm going to tell them to look up the plot synopsis on Wikipedia. It's a movie called Teeth. <laughs> if you're a dude... I would recommend not ever watching this movie. And 
bracing yourself when you read the plot synopsis. I got tricked into watching this movie and it's similar to why I am not a fan of Green Room because certain things are just too gratuitous and unnecessary. And while it's a parody and a satire and while all the above, not a fan. Just not a fan. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Tried to think of the most harmless thing. Something I loved from my childhood. Something that could never, ever possibly destroy us. Mr. Stay Puft. Nice thinking, Ray. We used to roast Stay Puft marshmallows by the fire at Camp Wakanda. Ray has gone bye-bye, Egon. What have you got left? Sorry, Bankman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. Before I get to one last question for you, Oz, let's go over our final review, our scores. Your final review of Ghostbusters was? It is my top Ivan Reitman movie, my third place Bill Murray, my third place Dan Aykroyd, my second place Harold Ramis script. It did not score for me in song. It is my favorite SNL movie, my favorite 1984 movie. It did not score in 1980s. It is my top 80s comedy and my number two horror comedy, giving it a score of a 34, which actually feels almost precisely right for how much I love it. It might be the movie that I think is objectively the worst that I like the most, (laughs) but uh, I love Ghostbusters. I, I I will forever love it. The song will always give me a, a kick of glee every time I think of it. Uh, and the line, yes, it's true, this man has no dick, is forever going to be my favorite comedic line ever in the history of film. <laughs> All right, my final review. Ivan Reitman, number one. Bill Murray, number four. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, number three. Harold Ramis, number two. Uh, original song, it did not rank. Alumni film, number two. 84, number two did not rank in the 80s number five in 80s comedy and in horror comedy it's number one which puts it at 28 out of 50 which is on the 56th percentile um there are some other movies and i think similar to halloween where the genre might be where it shines but in the pantheon it's not gonna be as big and one of those in particular is comedy and it leads to my last question where i have other comedies all time ahead of ghostbusters but we didn't specify specifically comedy because i figured that that would either be a quick conversation or too broad a conversation for ghostbusters so just real quick how high ballpark do you think ghostbusters would rank for you in the greatest comedies in your personal pantheon assuming that we're 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 gonna segregate this to movies that are like pure comedies for lack of a better mm-hmm. way to put it. Cause there are certainly movies that have comedic elements or that are funny that I would call a, you know, a drama or something else. It is, it is, I don't know if it's the best. I don't know if it will score the highest on our scale here, but I actually I, thinking about it right now, I, I think Ghostbusters is probably my actual legitimate favorite comedy ever i i'm racking my brain to try to think if i'm (laughs) if i'm missing something right now but i think that ghostbusters is is actually i think it's my favorite comedy so there we go we nailed it uh there you go i have it in my top 10 i'll say that um I so i've i've mentioned tropic thunder is the funniest movie i've ever seen i think 
I man, I, I the conversation I've always led with with Tropic Thunder is if we're playing poker and our chips are all laughs. I'm going all in with Tropic Thunder and saying, raise me. And I'm pointing out every single funny element of that movie. And I'm saying, go ahead, raise me. And I, for me personally, you can't because it's the fun, it's hardest I've ever laughed at a movie consistently. Um, yeah, but Ghostbusters, man, I, again, as we open the show with it, I, I don't remember a point in my life where the Ghostbusters like the brand wasn't so prevalent and omnipresent in the the fabric of movies, the fabric of like we mentioned horror comedy. It's not really a horror movie, but it's like the number one Halloween costume. You know, I don't think I've gone to Halloween without seeing somebody dressed oh, no, up as a ghostbuster. Everywhere. Yeah. I think about this is before social media where I knew more people or saw more people like every year, a ghostbuster <laughs> came to my door for, for trick or treat, you know? Um, which leads to the last question. What is your score out of 10 for Ghostbusters? 10. 10. 10. 10. Okay. I don't, I don't care. I, I could objective. This is one where if we were doing a, a bonus episode and talking about our quibbles, I'd have a shitload of quibbles. I don't care. This movie is fucking hilarious. 10 out of 10. Well, my quibbles brought it down to a 10. So that unfor- <laughs> unfortunately I had to, I had to knock it down a few notches. Um, this is, yeah, I, this is, I think for our, our show and, and greatness, like best is subjective, but as far as accomplished goes, which is really the essence of greatness, Ghostbusters really like fits the bill there. Um, okay. We, we made it through our first fight. I, I like it. We did it, Oz. Um, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, go to theinventionofdreams.com. Follow me at Oz on Movies on Twitter. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars, please, if you like it. <laughs> and if you don't want to give us five stars, please do not write a review. And tell your friends nice things if you're enjoying the show, because I think real in-person connection, human word of mouth, even better than reviews. Thank yes. you for the support, everyone. Yes, what he said. Um, we will have a bonus. We have two bonus reviews this weekend, or I guess early next week um, of the Ghostbusters next sequel, Ghostbusters 4, Ghostbusters Afterlife with Paul Rudd and the kid from Stranger Things. Um, and then and my girl, Carrie Coon. Don't, don't leave out Carrie and Coon. Carrie I love Coon, her. I apologize. And Carrie Coon. Um, we will also have a bonus review of King Richard, the uh biopic about uh, venus and serena's dad uh played by will smith that movie is going to win best actor and it it's going to be close for best picture yes this whether, is we, whether we like it or not that's what's coming i will save my thoughts for the bonus reviews i want to see it and then tell you my relationship to will smith uh that's your tease everybody is something to look forward to when i talk about will smith having said that thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your past said. Or you got a friend in me. Yeah, you've got a friend in me.